Please join me in the prayer for elimination. Let us pray. Let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Titus 2, 11 through 15. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. It educates us so that we can live sensible, ethical, and godly lives right now by rejecting ungodly lives and the desires of this world. At the same time, we wait for the blessed hope and the glorious appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us in order to rescue us from every kind of lawless behavior and cleanse a special people for himself who are eager to do good actions. Talk about these things, encourage and correct with complete authority, and don't let anyone disrespect you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This was prior to the locked himself into the tower and that God said you should give him money. Um, and Richard Nixon, both Methodists. Can I say that again? Because that's pretty shocking, right? Oral Roberts was a Methodist. He attended um, in uh, Boston Avenue United Methodist Church in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. And Richard Nixon were both Methodists. So to say that you were Methodist in the 1960s was really to say nothing unique about yourself except for the fact that you were an American. Because to be an American, to be a Methodist, you name it. The Methodist church was on Main Street in more ways than just the zip code. But now we live in a different world. And where the gift of living differently wasn't necessarily present in that mainstream Methodist, Main Street kind of place. We now find ourselves, really all of Christianity, being given the gift of living differently. So recently, a couple of years ago, I read a book, The Year of Living Biblically. Have you seen this book? Um, it is humorous and hilarious. If you choose to read it, I didn't recommend it to you because there's some things in there that probably your pastor shouldn't read. Um, so, uh, so the guy, uh, he decides to, read by the Old to live by the Old Testament code of expectations for a whole year. Now, it would be really nice if he was motivated by a deep spiritual need to connect with God and to make a relationship of transformation. But really, he says in the book that he uh, decided to write this book because he's really annoyed. His friend wrote a book, and it sold more uh, copies than any book that he'd written. And so he was going to write a book that would get bought at such a frequency that he could be the better author between the two of them. So we could say that's greed, right? Maybe. So he wore um, a robe, he grew out his beard, he ate kosher food. Um, his robe was, because um, uh, there's a law in the Old Testament that says uh, don't wear uh, clothing of mixed fabrics. And so it was all of one fabric, no uh, synthetics here. Um, he even kind of branched out. He, uh, he'd heard that someone had been accused of adultery, and so um, he tried to stone him. Of course, solo stonings wasn't necessarily how things worked back then. But talk about living differently. Um, th this guy had a beard that ended up growing, you know, quite uh, intensely, right? 
Um, that, uh, he walked around with sandals. He walked everywhere he went. In the middle of Manhattan, this was somebody sticking out like a sore thumb. Uh, I would love to say that through this year of living biblically that he became a Christian. Um, in fact, he said the most transformative part uh, of the whole experience was he felt like he had amputated a part of his soul when he finally shaved off his beard because it was such a significant part of his life. So no, transfer, no laughter for that one? Amputate your soul? Okay, anyways. <laughs> the gift of living differently not just differently for different sake, which would be the year of living biblically, but different because in response to something that's happened in your life, you cannot but live differently. Our scripture passage today from Titus um, is, um, it's, it's not a telling people about Jesus story. Um, it's more of a letter helping Christians be better Christians. Um, in some ways, Titus and uh, first uh, and second Peter, first, second, and third John, a number of these have uh, kind of an instructive and teaching quality to them um, that is less about the narrative of Jesus and more about how to, um, how to implement discipleship in your life. Now, right before this passage in Titus, there's a household code is what the academics refer to it. Um, uh, they, uh, it is a place where uh, writers in the Bible will say, uh, men of the household do this, and women of the household do this, and old men do this, and young, women, uh, young men do this, and the slaves of your household do this, right? In fact, this is where a whole lot of heat and not a lot of light uh, gets generated in discussions about the Bible, because sometimes those household codes were written for a very particular time and place. For those of you still trying to struggle what I'm getting at, um, the Apostle Paul uh, gets horrible, horrible criticism because he says women shouldn't speak in church, right? But maybe that was a specific moment in time. We, we have this struggle with um, parts of the Bible. Are, are all the parts of the Bible applicable to everyone all the time and we should all be walking around in one kind of fabric uh, robe with uh, long beards and sandals stoning those who find themselves on e-entertainment news? I, I, I've often referred to this to congregations about, uh, is, it, uh, is it scripture or is it Hallmark? Um, is it one of those things that just sounds really nice, but nobody actually does it? Like, take up your cross and follow me. Words from Jesus, pretty clearly translated. How many of us have? Oh, well, you know, he wasn't being literal there. He was just saying, you know, kind of have that spirit in you. Well, I don't know. It's not like he said, have that spirit in you and take up your cross and follow me. I mean, apparently some of us have translated, not y'all, never y'all, others, right? Growing up in the woodlands, um, apparently they had mistranslated it, and it was take up your BMW and follow me. I mean, it was, right, I, I think the, the point wasn't to make a nice Hallmark card, but to actually instruct people about the sacrifices that are required and the suffering that comes when you choose to live differently because of the work of Jesus Christ in your life. Scripture or Hallmark? Uh, here in Titus, um, he, uh, we see the writer move away from household code and get really specific about uh, what it means to live in grace, what it means to have the gift of grace. 
Um, you can see in the scripture passage where it says, the gift of grace educates us to have a sensible life, to, be a, uh, to have an ethical life, to live in response to the gift that's given us. Have you ever thought about the grace of God being a schoolhouse? The grace of God being a schoolhouse, that we learn some of the basics just in the presence of the one who has forgiven us of our sins, that we learn how to uh, be hospitable, we learn how to care and to love, we learn how to accept those who are different from us. And isn't it true to say that that might be a gift of living differently in the world that we live in today? The scripture passage goes on to say that um, we, um, having um, been educated by grace, uh, we are given a blessed hope, the blessed hope in the return of our Savior Jesus. And so if grace gives us formation, the hope of Jesus gives us purpose. If the schoolhouse of grace forms us, the hope of of Jesus gives us focus. The scripture passage goes on to say that there are many things, many tasks that the people of God should do and that we should do them well and that we should not let anybody um, dissuade us. We should be willing to argue about them. Maybe the church could argue less because we seem to really latch onto that part. Um, and to not let anyone disrespect you. The gift of living differently. Is there something that you have to do in response to a gift? I mean, how many out there love their birthday because they get gifts? <laughs> I do. How many love Christmas because you get gifts? Raise both hands, right? I know, you're, you, you, you say he's not speaking literally, he's just speaking figuratively, and so it's a hallmark statement. No, I really want you to say I love my birthday and Christmas because I get gifts. Can I get an amen? Thank you, all right. But growing up as a child, I loved the day of the gift giving, but the day after the gift giving, oh my gosh, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do, do you know why? Because, what? No, 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 this, I was a kid, no, no, no. Money grew on trees, come on, right? No, the day after, you had to write a thank you note to everyone who gave you a gift. Anybody else suffer through this, right? Yeah, yeah, and if I got distracted from the task, my mom would take the gifts, unwrapped, and put them on the dining room table right in front of me, reminding me that you will not be playing with these until you write thank you notes to everyone. And it wasn't like you could pick the coolest one, write that thank you note, go play with that one and say, you know, to the rest of them. Oh, you had to write all of them. I still remember it. It is emblazoned in my brain. Dear, fill in the relative's name, comma. Thank you for the fill in the name of the gift, period. I so love it, period. I look forward to playing with it often, period. Thank you for thinking of me on my birthday, period. I hope to see you soon, period. <laughs> then here's the real irony. 
My mom instructed me to use the salutation of sincerely, which in the third grade I had no idea what that word was. Little did I know that the letter I've written is a great example of the opposite of sincerely. <laughs> Peter. Oh my gosh, there'd be like 10 or 12. And you always, you know, were reluctant for the, that, that wonderful kind of grandmotherly figure that would send you underwear. And now you have to thank your grandmother for underwear and a thank you note. <laughs> Is there anything that you do in response to the gift that's been given to you? Jesus Christ dies on the cross uh, for our sins, is resurrected on the third day, gives us the gift of justifying grace where we are forgiven of our sins. Do you have to do anything in response to the gift? You nod your head, yes. Yes. <laughs> By faith, we are saved. But there are fruit, there's fruit that comes from the work that we do. It is a response to the gift. Because of this great gift that I've been giving, I will show gratitude all the days of my life through fruits of the Spirit, through works of charity and compassion. There's an old 80s uh, uh, theologian that said, uh, faith without works is like a screen door on a submarine. <laughs> faith without works is like a screen door on a submarine. You see, um, uh, Titus is reminding us um, that in response to the gift that's been given, we will conform our lives, living differently in response to the gift, being ethical, being sensible, and, and being formed by grace so that we might focus on the hope of the Savior to come. Uh, such uh, wise wisdom packed into so few verses right there towards the end of the New Testament. So, so why talk about living differently? Well, some of you are headed back to school, right? Some of you are headed back to work. Some of you have gotten done with the vacations of the summer and that it's an opportunity to join the group and head back to doing things. But I wanna encourage you to remember the gift that you've been given. Live differently. I mean, there's stories all throughout uh, the news these days about people who uh, could have done better by living differently. I think of one particular group of Olympic uh, swim, uh, uh, swimmers who, who and, and let's be honest, I mean, how, how much of our world lives in a place where truth is variable? Where truth is really just what's going to make me look good? where truth is how I smooth over the things that I've neglected to do and I make myself look really good. Can we really fault those swimmers for what they did? In some ways, they weren't living differently at all. They were following the culture. They were covering up, right? How, how many of us have gone on vacation to a wonderful place and uh, happened to tell someone a little bit of an you know, um, idealized story about what kind of work you do, or uh, maybe brag a little bit about your uh, abilities on the golf course, or, or maybe make withdrawals from a credibility bank account that you didn't really have all of it there and you've overdrawn it, you've stretched the truth. But there's no harm or foul. What's shocking is, you know, I, I love Matt Lauer. Just grilling him, right? Getting him to admit, take responsibility. You know, always remember when you point at someone, there's three fingers that point back at you. I would love for, if we're all going to take responsibility for the mistakes we make, 
I just want to see what Matt Lauer would take responsibility for, right? <laughs> so our culture looks and watches. What's really challenging is that our evangelism doesn't rise or fall on our ability to quote scripture. It doesn't rise or fall on our ability to talk about the four spiritual laws or to let someone know about how important the desire is for God uh, for them to become part of the church. Really, our evangelism rises and falls on our ability to live differently from the culture, to choose that truth is truth and we'll line it up with facts, that we'll live sensible and ethical lives even when no one's watching because that's when they are. The gift of living differently. So I was looking all week for a story to wrap this puppy up with, um, and I found myself on the front pew uh, of the early service, not having a clear idea of what that story would be, and then the story sat down behind me. Someone tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, have you heard that Brazoria County rocks? And I went, okay, strange 80s reference, but okay. And they said, no, haven't you seen? There's a Facebook page with 17,000 people who are taking rocks and writing on the bottom of them inspirational words and then hiding them back where they were so that people, when they go out and they find, you know, they look under this little rock and they see a word like hope or inspire or joy. What a wonderful thing. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, we had kind of a phrase around things that were under rocks. You know, usually the person we didn't like, we told them to go crawl back under that rock you came out from under. <laughs> what an interesting idea that what's under the rocks might be something that changes our lives. That something so unnoticeable as a rock could make a difference. Talk about uh, the gift of living differently. Those who take the time, I still love the idea that we go to um, Home Depot to buy a bag of rocks that then we write, on. I got rocks. I mean, if you got rock, come on over, I'll give you rocks, right? For free, right? Um, you know, there's that whole story around Palm Sunday um, that Jesus is walking triumphantly into the city. Um, as he walks in, um, people along the roads sing loud hosannas, uh, welcoming him as the uh, the king of Jerusalem. Uh, and the disciples say, um, uh, Jesus, shouldn't we uh, make them be quiet? They're really causing a ruckus. And do you remember what Jesus says? Jesus says to them, um, if you tell them to shush, even the rocks will cry out and praise me. The gift of living differently, of hiding hope under a rock, expecting someone to find it. So I want to encourage you. There's a whole schoolhouse, whether you're headed to school or not this week, a whole schoolhouse in grace that teaches us about being ethical and sensible and loving and caring. And it's, it's that gift that we live in response to. And in response to it, we focus our lives, we focus our hearts on sharing the news with others because we have that blessed hope that the Savior is coming. In the name of the... Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.